you'll please stand and join with me for the reading of God's word. Scripture for today is Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to, obey, how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time where we can look together into your word, and we pray that you would open our hearts, that we might understand your word, open our, uh, open our, our minds, that we might be able to receive it. We pray that the, uh, the preaching that Fred delivers would be able to penetrate, um, penetrate us in such a way that we would leave transformed by the renewing of our minds. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you for this opportunity to be with you today. It's always a joy to be here. We uh, deeply appreciate this church and the ministry that they have to our family and all of us. Um, you are a model of Christian love and service, and we, we do appreciate that greatly. Our denomination is the Presbyterian Church in America, and we have constitutional standards. Part of those standards are the Westminster documents, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Westminster Larger Catechism, and the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Hopefully, many of you children know some of that shorter catechism. First question, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We're going to talk about that last phrase this morning, the enjoyment of God. At the General Assembly three years, almost three years ago now, uh, I was privileged to hear Kevin DeYoung speak. Some of you may know of Kevin DeYoung. Uh, he's written a lot of books. He's one of the well-known pastors in our denomination. If you're not familiar with him, I encourage you to go to YouTube or Sermon Audio and look up Kevin DeYoung and listen to some of his sermons. But one of the things Kevin said, he said, when we preach a passage, we ought to recognize the tone of the passage. It's important to understand the tone of a passage. And this morning, uh, I want us to think about that tone of this passage. The Apostle Paul is writing, and we see that his tone is very upbeat. He's full of joy. Paul, he's a man who is enjoying God. 
Now, we don't often think of God in that light. We often think of him with, we deal with guilt or anger or shame. And we, the Bible talks about fearing God. But there's also the place for enjoying God. And here in this passage, we see a man who is enjoying God. And we want to explore that this morning. And as part of that exploration, I want us to think about another question in the shorter catechism, because I think it comes to bear on our enjoyment of God. And that's a question number 11. What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. Now, where that comes to bear in this passage is that Paul, Paul, and you know, as we've studied through Philippians, Paul, this book is a lot, says a lot about rejoicing and joy. It's a very upbeat book, but it's important to realize that when Paul is talking about rejoicing and joy, to understand how significant that is, because where is Paul when he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi? He's in jail. He's a missionary who's in jail. He's a man who spent two to three years of his life, the last two or three years of his life, in jail. Now, if you were to say, well, where's the worst place in the world for a missionary to be? You would think, in jail. You don't want to be in jail. So how is he positive? How is he enjoying God? Well, I think this doctrine of, of God's providence, God has worked this doctrine into his life. And we want to talk about that this morning as well, how to allow God to grow his, your understanding of him, how he grows and develops and helps you to understand him. It's through his providence. It's through believing that he is holy and wise and powerful, and he preserves and he governs all his creatures and all their actions. Because you see, that life, there are a lot of things in life that come to us and we think, God's forgotten me. There's no hope here for me. Uh, I don't know where God is, but it's challenging and difficult. There are two questions that I like to ask, and I like to teach people to ask. They come out of the first chapter in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. You know at Genesis 1, God creates the heavens and the earth. And how does he create? He speaks, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. What does that tell us about the character of God? It tells us he's in control. God has all power. He's in control of everything. Now, let me say to you that these two questions, you ask them yourself every day, and you answer them every day. And so does every person created in the image of God. They ask these questions. They can't help but ask these questions because they're made in God's image. Now, that may not word the questions like I put them, and they may not even be conscious that they're asking these questions. But the question of who's in control comes to you every day, throughout your day, when things happen, when you have a flat tire, when the kids get sick, whatever it is, the question, who's in control? The second question comes out of Genesis 1, and that is, what's he like? 
Because you see, God said, let there be light. And there was light. It happens. And God saw that it was good. All right? That's the other question. Is God really good? And that's what Satan comes and tempts Eve with. And that's what she succumbs to. She, she succumbs to the answer to both of those questions. God is, God is mean to you, Eve, because he knows if you eat of that tree, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So if you eat of this tree, you can be God. Who's in control? I want to be in control, Adam said. And what's he like? Well, God's holding out on you. You know, he's not really what you think he is. He's not really good. What you need to do is take control of your own life in your own world so that you can be in control and you can really do what's good. And we know the results of that. The sin and misery, Ukraine, we're talking about today, COVID, all of those things come into the world because of Adam's sin. And we struggle with that. And we struggle with those questions. Who's in control and what's he like? Now, in Paul, we have a man who's thoroughly thought through those questions, and he's answered them very completely and very thoroughly. Our theme today, our big idea is Paul is a man enjoying God and the people in God's church. Paul is a man enjoying God and the people in God's church. We're going to look at this simple little passage and see how these, this idea comes through there. We're going to look at three points. Children, if you're under 12, I want you to remember, I, fathers, I want you at lunch today to ask the children what the sermon was about. And children, here's the answer, all right? It's going to be a test, and here's the answer. There's three words. First of all, rejoicing. Second, learning. And third, doing. Rejoicing, learning, and doing. Now, if you're a teenager, you get the harder question. Here's, here's the complete answer when your dad asks you, what was the sermon about? Rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord, point one, verse 10. Second answer, what is the sermon about? Learning in every circumstance, verses 11 and 12. Learning in every circumstance. And third, doing all things through Christ. Doing all things through Christ, verse 13. When we talk about rejoicing in the Lord, and we're trying to understand Paul's joy, and we're trying to understand how to enjoy God, we're going to ask the what and the why question. What is it? What is the, at the essence of, the, of Paul's joy in the Lord? And why is he rejoicing when he's in jail and facing so many challenges in his life? The second one is learning in every circumstance, and that's the how. How do we grow in this? How does this, this kind of doctrine of a holy, wise, and powerful God, how does that seep into the very nature of our being so that not just we don't just put on a happy face and pretend to be joyful today? 
but out of the depths of our soul exudes a joy, a love for the Lord, an enjoyment of God. And then our third point, doing all things through Christ. We're going to answer the question of when. When do we do this? When does this come to bear? I want you to keep another passage in mind as we go through this. It's, it's impossible to preach sermons without bringing conviction. And sometimes people shy away when they hear things that they don't want to hear. But I want you to think about Isaiah 57, 15. Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. That's the God we're talking about. He says, I dwell in a high in a holy place. He's very different from us. He's very far from us in one sense. But, (laughs) critical word in that verse, this high and holy God who dwells in a high and holy place, but I also dwell with the humble and the contrite ones. To revive the spirit of the contrite to change the heart of the humble. You see, this wonderful God that Paul knows, who is great and is the creator of the heavens and the earth, he dwells in a high and a holy place, but he dwells with you too when you humble yourself before him. And what that means is listening to the word of God and saying, God, I I see some flaws in the way I think. You know, I don't do this so well. Uh, this, this is the real me, you know, Lord. You, you do know me, and this, this is me. Help me here. Help me here. I need your help. All right, as we go into this, keep that promise in mind. We'll come back to it in a minute. First point, rejoicing in the Lord, the what and the why. Notice verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length, You have revived your concern for me. You have indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Paul knew that these people in Philippi loved him. They knew that they cared for him, and it encouraged him. He says, I know there there was a lack of opportunity. It's hard for us to imagine what's going on there. You know, yesterday, Rick Hutton texted me about, I don't know, around noon, 1130, somewhere. He said, Fred, I've got COVID. Can you preach tomorrow? You or Sparky, could you preach tomorrow? And I wrote him back. I said, I'm available, but if Sparky wants to do it, he can do it. Sparky writes back, I've got, I've got one of my children, her husband, and seven grandkids here at the house. <laughs> so you can pray for Sparky. He, he had his hands full. <laughs> it's like our house sometimes. We have, you know, when all 15 are there and everybody else, it's chaos, but it, it's a lot of fun. So I said, I'll do it. I mean, it took about 30 minutes. But think about Paul's in Italy, and across the sea is Greece, and across the sea is Turkey, and up in the north between Greece and Turkey is Philippi. Takes weeks to find out news. It takes a long time, maybe even months for them to communicate but they're communicating. And Paul says, I know you cared about me, and I know you didn't have the opportunity, but now you have the opportunity. They had sent him an offering. 
think about what it was like. He was able to live in a house, but he had to pay for that house. He had to have food. He's chained to a Roman soldier in prison there. Uh, where does the money come from? Where does he get this? It was the love of the Philippian church that had helped him and probably other churches as well. And Paul writes this letter to them because he's gotten news of them and he knows that it's a wonderful church, but things are not exactly right in the church. There are two of the leading members, Euodia and Syntyche, and they're not quite getting along the way they used to. And Paul's concern is that legalism and the Jewish ideas of you can earn your way to heaven, had seeped into that church, and it was affecting relationships as it does all relationships. When we start in our marriage, when we start measuring and counting, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, Paul had a resume of one word, Christ. And he knew that this good church was in danger because of this kind of thinking, so he's writing them, and he writes this letter. And I, and I would say to you, as a church and as a family, as a marriage, as a work, wherever you're in relationships with people, the principles in this book are key to long-term marriages, to long-term working relationships, to long-term relationships with adult children. All of these things are there in this book with an understanding of the gospel. But notice what Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord. Now, I think joy, we tend to want to joy in lots of different things. We tend to want to joy in many, many good things. You know, you can, if you're a hunter, you can say, well, it's three weeks till hunting season, and I can't wait to get out there in the woods. Or if you're a golfer, or if you're a sower, you want to go into town, you want to do the tour of the houses. All of those are, all of those are good things. The problem is that we make our ultimate joy those things. And when we put those things as our bottom line, what have we done? We created an idol. We look to hunting, or we look to HGTV and the thrill of what we see there, and that becomes our joy, and it becomes an anesthetic. When life is hard, we go do these things for joy. In one sense, that's not wrong at all, but if we allow that to take the place of God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, if we allow that to be our bottom line, the thing I want you to see here is the joy in Paul's life is rooted in the Lord. It's his understanding of God and who God is and what God is doing him, what God is doing for him. You see, often when we seek the Lord and we, and we want and we earnestly seek the Lord, things don't necessarily get better, do they? They get more difficult sometimes. And that's because God is good. He's in control, and he's good. You know, in the prison ministry that I work with, I, I often go and talk with, we talk with the men. We haven't been in the prisons now for two years, but we're working very busy in recovery houses where men who've just gotten out are in these houses, and they're getting back on their feet and trying to get jobs and working with addictions and all those kinds of things. 
And I, I tell them, I said, men, God is, God is like a good coach. What does a good coach do? A good coach knows you have a big game on Friday night, so he brings you in for practice on Tuesday, on Monday afternoon. He says, guys, this, we're, we're playing basketball at our arch rival this Friday night. And so today, we're just going to have a light practice. We'll do a couple of trips around the court, and then we're going to have Big Macs. And tomorrow, we're going to do a couple more laps, and we'll have donuts. If you've ever played a sport, you know that's not what a good coach does. <laughs> Far from it. I mean, I, I played for a coach. I thought I was going to die. I thought practice I was going to die. Why did the coach do that? Because he wants you to go into Friday night thinking, we're going into this place, the arch rival is going to be yelling and screaming, kill them and whatever. And I want you to think back on practice and say, you know, we survived coach this week. We can beat these guys. We can. You see, sometimes good comes in hard packages. And often the gospel is carried out in difficult passages. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, death is at work in us, but life in you. And one of the questions that you really have to ask in life with that bottom line, is, is, is God Lord? Lord, I want to see people know you. And I am willing to experience and to go through death that I might see my children or my friends or my community know Christ. Paul says the way that happens is very often death is at work in you. You look at the ministry of the Apostle Paul. What is, what is his resume? If you press him, I've said his resume is one word, Christ. In Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, they're pressing him. They're comparing him to the super apostles. And Paul says, okay, you want a resume? I'll tell you. Shipwrecks, beatings, jail. You know, he goes on. He just has this long, long list. Do you know what? He embraces it. Lord, this is your work. You are using me as a conduit to bring the gospel to other people. And that's the secret to joy. We talked about this a few weeks back, a few months back. First, in chapter 1, Paul's in jail. He's not depressed. He's, he's joyful. Why? Because the gospel's going out. People are coming to Christ. He was chained to a Roman soldier, but the Roman soldier's chained to Paul. How would you like to be a, a rough-and-tumble pagan and get chained to the apostle Paul? Why, it's the worst thing that could happen to you. Only these were the choice young men from around the Roman Empire. This was the West Point. These were the West Point cadets, and they came to Rome and served Caesar, and then they went back to their homes. What, what had God done? What had Caesar set up? Why, it was a missionary school. These men came and were chained to Paul. They came to know Christ. They went back out through the empire and spread the gospel. The gospel wasn't being shut down. 
Now, beloved, what I want you to see this morning is that when you rejoice in the Lord, life may not get easier, but God gets bigger and God gets sweeter and you begin to enjoy God. All right, children, you remember the first point? Rejoice in the Lord. All right, second point, let's talk about that a little bit. Learning in every circumstance. Let's look at that. What does, what does he say here in verses 10 and 11? Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know, to be, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You see, the super apostles that he's dealing with in 2 Corinthians, we have, we have tons of those today. Some of the biggest churches in Richmond are run by super apostles, and they stand up and brag about their cars and their airplanes and all these wonderful things. You know, they, they, they walk on water. They're never sick. They're healthy and wealthy, and you can have it too. Paul says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What I want you to think about here is learning. It's a process. You're not going to walk out of here. If you've never heard this, what I'm saying today, you're not going to walk out of here and boom, it's instant oatmeal, instant Christian. It's not going to be that way. God's faithful. He knows what you can handle. He knows what you need. And what you need is for him and to recognize his faithfulness over the course of your life. He's learning. This is the Apostle Paul. He, he's the most brilliant student in the, in the Jewish school in Jerusalem. He's brilliant, probably had most of the Old Testament memorized, and he could debate with the best of them. He's learning. He's learning at the feet of his God. Notice the scope of the process. He says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. It's those whatevers that stump, that, that trick us, isn't it? Lord, I, I wasn't expecting this. This is a whatever, whatever. Paul says, when I come to those, I'm learning. And that's what humility, the great and mighty God of heaven, who comes to us, we have to say, Lord, I'm not prepared for this, and I'm not dealing with it too well. Help me. I need your help. But you see, when a day later, and you know, you've given up hope, and you think, oh, it's not going, I don't know what's And a week later, you look back and you realize, wow, I've been enduring this. I've been dealing with hunger and and, and, and abundance and need. And how did that happen? Oh, that's the God 
That's the great God of heaven and earth who's come to me when I humbled myself before him and said, Lord, I I need your help. Help me. Open my eyes. Teach me. Teach me here in this school. And then you begin to realize God is for you. This great God of heaven and earth, there's all this stuff going on out there, but I have a God who's for me. He's helping me. I'm not making the first page of the magazines as the greatest Christian in the history of the earth. I'm, you know, I'm not anywhere there, but I have a God I can walk with humbly day by day. He's helping me. He's with me. You know, one of the things we talk about in our doctrine is the perseverance of the saints, that real saints persevere. But we also use another term for that perseverance, and that is preservation. God preserves his saints. And the greatest need you have is not for a magnificent fund for retirement or whatever you want to put it out there. And I'm not against anything like that. But the greatest need you have is to know you have a God who preserves. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will complete it. How do you learn that? You learn it in the school of life. God, by his providence, his most holy, wise, and powerful governing of all his creatures and all their actions. So you come to God and say, God, I don't understand what's going on. Help me. And he begins to open your eyes. Now, that's not without the means of grace of the word of God and prayer, church, but he opens your eyes and he shows you those things. Okay, children, what are the three words? Rejoicing, learning, doing. All right, rejoicing in the Lord, learning in every circumstance. The third one, doing all things through Christ. This is the win. This is as we go and look at the future. See, our God is a God of the future. And when we are in relationship with him, we can look at the future and smile. Why? Because he's in control and he's good, you see. And God has taught us that. He's, we've learned that through the circumstances of life. And so Paul says here in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. There is no fear. You know, Paul could easily at this point, he could be facing death when he goes to Caesar. He, we don't think he was martyred this time. He gets out, and he, but he's brought back and he's martyred perhaps eaten by lions. We don't know exactly, we don't know what happened to him. But he, he knows the reality of the political situation, the religious political situation. It's not a pretty picture for Paul. But he's not cowering and he's not afraid. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is not a health and wealth gospel. This is not a think and grow rich. It is a bearing up of strengthening the God of heaven and earth who comes and dwells with the humble, and he bears them up in the midst of tremendous 
opposition, tremendous difficulty. Why? How? How does he do this? When does he do this? The future, because he's God. He's God. Caesar's not God. Paul's confidence is in God. It's through him who strengthens me. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than them all, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. I would challenge you to memorize that verse because that, that, that pulls it all together. He realizes, how did he come to Christ? He was on the road to Damascus when that light came out of heaven, when Christ spoke to him out of heaven. That wasn't Paul seeking God. God was seeking Paul. By the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace to me was not in vain. No, he went everywhere talking to men, preaching about Christ. Did he grow proud? It was not I, but it was the grace of God working in me. You see, we come back to that great need. The great need is to know your God and enjoy Him. Because when you begin to know Him and glorify Him and enjoy Him, what happens to your life? It doesn't matter what comes. My God is the God of all providence, and He's bigger than all of those things. As we conclude here this morning, I hope you've gotten the sense that the mood of this passage is joy. This is a joy that comes from a man in prison for his faith in Jesus Christ, a man who would eventually die for his faith in Christ. And I want you to think about this. What is, what is your God? Is your God really the God of heaven and earth? Or is it another God? Are you looking for something lovely? You know, idols come. Paul describes idols as angels of light. Satan comes as an angel of light. Idols come in lovely boxes. Your husband can be your idol, your wife, your job, your children, your salary. All of those things can be your job, your God. There's nothing wrong with any of those things unless your joy is rooted in them ultimately. You see, that's an idol. Idols come in nasty packages as well. They come, they come as drugs, alcohol, pornography, a dream job, a video game that I know is evil, rap songs that are filled with garbage. But I, I'm not giving those up because that's where I go for peace. You see, that, that's an idol. The question is, what do you live for? Is your chief end the glory of God? If it's not, you'll never enjoy him. You will fear and you will run and you will cower from the God of heaven and earth. I ask you today, if you died today, would you go to heaven? You know that you would. Do you have that assurance?
If you stood before God and he said, why should I let you in my heaven? What would you say? Well, I was a pretty good person. You know, we often think of God as the scales. You know, I'm doing better than worse. And that's, I'll dicker with God. See, the God of heaven and earth can't be dickered with. (laughs) He's God. He can't be dickered with. What he asks is you to bow your knee to him. To humble yourself before him. Say, God, this is the real me. I'm like Eve. I thought I could be you. I thought I could order my own life my own way. That's an idol. I can't. I need your help. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the mood of this passage. This man who is in the most miserable of circumstances is full of joy. He's full of joy because his life is, he's all in. He's all in. His whole purpose is to glorify you. And Lord, we see the fruit of that. Lord, you know, we don't do so well at that. I don't do so well at that. We ask that you would help us. Help us that we might learn in every circumstance. Help us that we might rejoice in you for your name's sake and for your glory. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.